Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and it's Monday, February 23rd, 2009, and I want to welcome you to the Future of Education interview series. Uh, we're certainly glad to have you here. Tonight our guest is Keith Kruger. Uh, Keith's the CEO of COSIN, the Consortium for School Networking. And I'm going to introduce Keith in a minute or two, but first I want to take you through uh, a little bit of the environment that you're in, the illuminated environment, so that you know um, uh, what you can do here. Um, at the top of the screen, you see an A, B, and C buttons. A, B, and C buttons. You're certainly welcome to push them now because we can clear them. But if uh, if we want to do any polling, uh, we'll use those buttons to get responses. I'm going to push the A button to see an A shows up next to me. There are some other buttons also down at the bottom of your participant box. There is a hand with a green arrow up and that would be raising your hand, and we'll ask you to do that when you want to take the microphone for a question. The smiley face indicates uh, you're happy or laughter. Uh, the clapping hand indicates applause. The um, confused emoticon indicates confusion, and I'll come to your rescue. Uh, we won't be using the down arrow, the, the thumbs down tonight, but um, uh, you know it's there. And I'm going to so I can go clear those two columns. You'll see when I do. Um, if you want to send a message in the chat room, there's at the uh, in the middle of your screen at the bottom is an open box, and you type your message in there. And I'm just going to put uh, type here, and you'll see I hit enter or I click the send button, and it appears in the chat. You can also send chats individually to others who are in the room, but do be aware that um, I end up seeing them all. Okay. Uh, if you look at the whiteboard, which is where the presentation is um, scrolling forward, you'll see that you have uh, a number of different icons there. We're not going to use um, them during the presentation, but it is kind of fun to allow you to indicate on a map where you're listening from. So I'm going to give you all permissions to actually use that feature. And if you click on the little wand with the red uh, star at the end, you can put uh, you can click on the map as to where you are. And then it's kind of fun if in the chat you actually put uh, your name and location and maybe what the time and temperature are. It gives us an idea of where people are. We have someone from Australia, a few in Hawaii, uh, looks like Canada. There's a very big star in what might be the Caribbean. Denver, Phoenix, Rochester, Pennsylvania, cold and windy, snowing in Cleveland. Well, wherever you're from, we're sure glad to have you here. Okay, so I'm actually going to now uh, take the, that uh, permission away and uh, move us forward one slide. So tonight, it's a great pleasure to have Keith Kruger here from Akosin. Uh, Keith has not only been my boss for a few years, but uh, someone I really respect and who I think does a really good job of helping to clarify some issues uh, around educational technology. So welcome, Keith. Thanks, Steve. It's great to uh, be here. I, uh, we were uh, chatting just before this that uh, it's a busy time of the year for us, and so I had uh, 
agreed to do this a little late in the evening, thinking that it would be a calm day and I'd, you know, be sitting here by our fire, uh, uh, you know, thinking big thoughts. But uh, in fact, I just uh, rushed in from the office as we were uh, uh, settling down from a, a busy day of planning our conference. But uh, Steve, do you uh, want me to just start? Yeah, that would be great. And uh, whatever else you would like to say about yourself, please do so at this point. Um, uh, you probably hit the uh, go to the very end button on this presentation. So I'm going to take us back to I'm going to take us back to the beginning and scroll forward. Right. There you go. No, no worries. So it's just the the Steve, single okay. arrow there. It is good to know that you're actually in control. It. It's, it's good to know that you're in control of the show. <laughs> but uh, probably best that we not skip through all the slides. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I talk a lot about technology. I, I talk about technology. I don't always do it. Uh, but anyway, what we're going to talk about tonight is, uh, and, I, and I do hope that we can make this a little more interactive than uh, just me talking. Um, what I want to look at is uh, uh, what what we sort of know about effective use of technology, and I've titled this "Learning to Change, Changing to Learn." And uh, the reason I've done that is we'll show a little video at the end uh, of of the talk, uh, which is a kind of a student perspective of of what they expect from a learning environment. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with COSIN, we're a 17-year-old national uh, US-based education association. Uh, we, our mission is around the empowerment of uh, what we call uh, school district technology leaders. Uh, and it's really around their strategic use to improve, uh, the strategic use of technology to improve teaching and learning. And our core audience are the folks in charge of technology at a school district level. We generically call them chief technology officers, although they have all kinds of different titles, whether it's uh, what, uh, CIO, uh, as the director of technology, coordinator of technology. Of course, depending on, on the size of the district, those things vary. Tonight's presentation, um, I want to talk about three things. And um, I'm going to go kind of quickly through my slide deck, um, simply because I, we have so many people here, including some from around the world. And I do want to take the time to answer the questions that you have. But I, I at least want to briefly mention three things. Kind of, first of all, what do we know from the research around effectiveness of technology in education? Um, and this is sort of a macro discussion. Um, if we think back to high school or college, uh, in our economics course, uh, there was, of course, micro and macro economics. And, and macro is really looking at the big trends. So these trends may or may not be true in your specific school or school district or even in your, the country in which or the state you're in. But we're trying to look at what the big, the big things are that are happening and try to see some patterns. Um, secondly, I, I thought folks tonight might be interested in sort of what's happening in terms of education technology, uh, particularly since the election and particularly in this last week since the pass of the economic stimulus bill in the United States. And finally, I want to briefly talk about what sort of the uh, some of the critical skills that I think uh, we really need, both for those who are uh, leaders of our education systems, by that people like principals and superintendents, 
but also for those folks who are in charge of technology, tech coordinators, directors, people who are um, trying to make sense out of these new tools. So what has been the impact of education technology around the world? And I will you know, also mention the use of the term ICT. That's the global term for what we in the United States call ed tech. It stands for Information Communications Technology. Basically, it's the same thing. Um, but uh, if we want to look at the global research, they'll often refer to ICT. So um, uh, you know, some of the bigger studies that have been done in recent years, uh, uh, and this slot, next slide sort of summarizes uh, some major studies dating back to back in 2003, quite a while ago, but done by UNESCO, part of the UN. They looked at 30 countries in South and East Asia and concluded that there was really very little impact of that technology in most of the countries in Asia. At least it, it wasn't showing up in terms of uh, much impact in the classroom. A more recent study uh, was done by the European Schoolnet. Uh, it was done in 2006. It found a little more favorable, some improvement in teaching and learning, but no fundamental change in, in the way that, that uh, the classroom practice was happening. And uh, the European Schoolnet works with 29 ministries of education across Europe. Um, you know, now some people may say, well, we ought to really look in countries that are very tech-oriented. And so we might want to look at an area, say, the, the Nordic countries. Um, there was a study that was put out in 2003, the e-learning Nordic uh, study. And uh, this, in fact, was a teacher survey. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about it later. Uh, they asked uh, teachers in five countries, uh, Iceland, Finland, Sweden, Norway, and um, uh, Denmark, uh, to say, first of all, uh, to self-report whether or not technology was having uh, little impact, some impact, or great impact on their classroom and their practice of teaching, 70% um, of those teachers in these countries that we view as perhaps tech-oriented uh, reported that it was really having either no or, or limited impact on teaching and learning. So that's pretty depressing, I guess, for those of us that uh, think that technology might have a role. And I suppose it's late in the evening, and uh, some of you might say, why in the world am I spending any time on this if that's the whole story. But I'm not sure that it is the whole story. And in fact, if we look at the research out of the United Kingdom, uh, the UK has had a major uh, focus on technology for the last decade, both under Prime Minister Tony Blair and now under Gordon, Bluff, Gordon Brown. Um, the interesting thing is the last several years, they've re-looked at their education reform strategy. And they've focused on personalizing instruction. And they've, they've not specifically had a technology strategy, but in fact a school reform strategy. And that is that they found that all of the investment they've been making in technology and in education in general uh, had some impact when they started a decade ago, but flattened out after a few years. And that they believe that the way that they could continue to see improvement in their school systems would be to focus on individualizing learning. 
Um, this is a four-year study that was done by their research agency, BACTA, uh, which is similar to sort of a NSF-like agency in the UK. It specifically focuses on technology and education. So um, they came to two conclusions when they looked at the impact of technology. First of all, that personalized learning was in fact, through technology, was the key route to educational improvement. Now that's a very big statement from a research agency. Um, and secondly, they went on to say that when you have a high level of technology, it dramatically improves student performance. So long as there was the right support, which I would argue is in fact the, the uh, professional development, and the enthusiasm, which I would argue is the leadership uh, to, support, to support and embrace it. So that's a little more positive. And uh, you know, let's, let's turn our gaze now back to the United States. Um, this is a, a meta study that was done. It means that they weren't doing any original research, but rather looking at all of the research that was out there on use of technology. And they, it was done by the Materi Group under a contract uh, done for Cisco. And they came to two conclusions. The first one's, uh, again, not so positive for people like me who see themselves as technology advocates. And that is that we've often overpromised the, the role of technology. That those who have promoted technology have often seen it as a silver bullet. That if we drop it within our schools, in our classrooms, that it will magically transform learning. And the evidence was quite clear that in isolation, technology dropped in the classroom, if that's all you do, does little to change the school environment. However, the study also went on to say that, in fact, when there's appropriate vision and adequate professional development, technology can be powerful and transformative. And it seems to me that that is the place that we want to be. That's the sort of role we want technology to play. It, I think we're also say, seeing that in most places in the world that isn't yet where we are and that isn't where we are in most classrooms. I think the perspective in most classrooms, it, it sort of depends on whether we want to whether, whether we, what perspective we want to take of where we are in the United States. Um, if we take a teacher perspective, I think we have made some progress. Um, back uh, five years ago, if we looked at surveys of teachers, only about 20 or 25 percent of teachers would say that they were somewhat advanced or very advanced uh, in use of technology in the classroom. That has leapt forward to over 60% um, even two years ago. Um, and uh, you know, I, I think if you ask teachers, do they have a belief that technology should be in the, has a place in education, you get over 90% agreement from US teachers. So there's a, a fundamental belief by teachers that it is an appropriate tool. Yet, I think if we look at how the usage of most technology is being used, it's still at a very early stage of, of what we might call Web 1.0 or early uh, use of, tech, of, of Internet in, in most classrooms, at least in the United States. Um, it's certainly used as a communications device. It's certainly used to gather resources to share email and 
I need to, to use email and, and gather resources to send students out to find things. But in most classrooms, we're not seeing a, a profoundly different use of technology. And if we shift our perspective to what I call the customer, um, and that is the student, um, sometimes when I'm giving this presentation at conferences, I I ask uh, educators, you know, who's the customer? And I often get puzzled looks. I get answers like parents or business community or um, the, the principal or, or the federal government or, or whatever. But um, it seems to me that the core customer of, of education needs to be students. It needs to be um, the, the learner. And if we look at, you know, and, and we could spend a lot more time tonight talking about sort of a student perspective, but basically I think that the evidence is quite clear that the way in which the average school or classroom uses technology is quite disconnected from the typical way that students use technology outside of class. Um, in fact, uh, you know, if we look at the, the Project Tomorrow surveys of students, and summarized it all in one word by students. If you ask them how does uh, use of school, use of technology compare with your, with outside the school, the word lame is probably the way that most would describe it. And I have a few slides here just describing, I think you have already heard on this series from Julie Evans from Project Tomorrow, some of that disconnect where this is their latest survey that shows that you know, half of students would like to use gaming. Uh, very few teachers, administrators, and parents see that. Over half of students want to use mobile devices. Very few of, of school leaders think that's appropriate. Very few parents, uh, less than half as students, want to have online learning. And very few parents, teachers, or school leaders want students to have access to school emails or IAMing. Now, I think we can have an honest conversation about whether or not these tools are appropriate for a particular classroom or school. But the point of the fact is there's quite a disconnect between our customers and who the folks are that are delivering that educational system. Let me go back to that study that was from the Nordic countries. You'll recall this was the five uh, Scandinavian countries. We, they asked teachers to self-report was technology having no impact, moderate impact, or really positive impact in your classroom. And as I said, 70% of the teachers in those countries were saying no impact or moderate impact. Well, I think the interesting thing about this is if we dive a little deeper and see is there some different way that teachers who are seeing really positive impact, the 30% that are, that they're using the technology. And in fact, I think there are some interesting patterns. In the no impact or moderate impact, the, the, those teachers said, well, they don't really use it in their pedagogy or for their subject content, whereas those seeing really high positive impact were. Um, the, the low impact or moderate impact were not confident with technology. They were not using it much. Conversely, those that had a that said it was making a difference really were confident and were highly using it. How they were using it was also different. They were not using it for collaboration uh, in those low impact uh, uh, teachers. 
whereas it was project-oriented, collaborative, and experimental in the high-impact teachers. And an interesting fact, I think, is that disproportionately teachers were at the secondary level uh, who were not seeing much impact, whereas those that were seeing a really high impact were at the elementary level. My personal theory is that that's probably because at the elementary level they, they really are, they, they teach a number of subjects, they're more collaborative, team-oriented um, than in, in the average secondary school, but perhaps you have uh, um, your own theories. I, I think the interesting thing about this survey, you know, first of all, does this relate to, uh, you know, what you're seeing in your uh, school or, or school district? Um, and, you know, there are a lot of free online surveys that you could, in fact, do a similar sort of survey of teachers in your institution, which I think is a great way to get a sense of, you know, what impact are we really seeing today? And are there different ways that some of your teachers are using the technology? So my summary on this first part of what we're talking about tonight is I believe that in most classes around the world, we're not yet seeing technology as being integral to the overall education mission. It's being used kind of at the margins. And actually, that's not all that different from what we saw in the, in the um, business sector. In the late 1980s, Robert Solo, who went on to win the Nobel Prize in economics, was interested in, if you think back to the late 1980s, business was starting to spend a lot of money um, giving every employee a PC. They were connecting them to wide area networks. And he wanted to know whether or not that investment was having any impact on productivity, profitability, or efficiency. And in the late 1980s, the research he looked at found, in fact, there was no impact. If there was any impact, it was negative because people, employees, were being asked to do new things on top of what they were already doing. Now, the story could end there, and, um, but in fact, the, if you think back to the 1990s, we start to see a tremendous economic boom. And a lot of folks are saying, gee, maybe that's because of technology. The internet is being in, invented, and, and, and we're starting to see that uh, there's the use of uh, computers. The, the Microsoft system is becoming ubiquitous across business. Maybe that standard operating system is helping business, or maybe it's because there's processing chips that Intel is making that gives you know uh, business the ability to collect data. So Solo goes back and looks at business and sees whether or not technology is the reason for this economic boom. And he comes to the conclusion that, in fact, technology has, has been a tremendous uh, enabler of that transformation. But what the really important thing was is that business was rethinking how it was rethinking its business processes. And the classic example he gave was Walmart. Walmart was in the retail business uh, you know, well before technology. Uh, it, it was about selling stuff. But what the technology enabled them to do, they did suddenly have large amounts of data. They could keep track of, of things. They could order things in a different way, deliver new products. They could micro-target many parts of their, their consumers to 
understand preferences. And suddenly they were a different they were able to serve better their their customer base. And suddenly we started to see new businesses, businesses like in the book publishing business where you know at any given moment in time only about 20% of any book that were that were being published were available in bookstores. Well, new businesses like amazon.com found that by serving what they call the long tail uh, in business that they were able to serve a larger number of customers even if those customers were off were purchasing um, books that, that uh, very few people wanted. They were able to look at that long tail. So it seems to me that what we want to think about in, in education is, is there some way of using technology for really big things? And that means we have to have a vision and clarity uh, from our leaders about where we're trying to go. What are the really big educational problems we're trying to solve? And in a business like education, in an industry that's about learning, um, it seems to me that technology needs to, in the school environment, needs to be about how do we transform learning? How do we make a big difference in that teaching and learning space? Um, you know, I, I, COSIN represents the chief technology officers of school districts, and we often have asked them to rank you know, we'll give them a list of 20 different things that technology could do uh, for education. And we ask them to rank them in order of what's most important. And interestingly enough, in recent years, the top four uh, things that technology leaders have told us have all been really administrative things about the data. Now, you can certainly use the data to get to, to classroom uh, performance, but um, it's interesting that so many of the top-ranked applications were, in fact, administrative. I think that's because the easiest way to show return on investment is on the administrative side. But if the core mission of our organizations is about learning, we really need to focus on the teaching and learning side. Um, one of the things I think it's important to think about is, and, and these are sort of waves of technology, and it doesn't really matter what industry sector you're in. Um, one of the first waves that we uh, go through when we think about technology is, of course, the infrastructure. The first thing you have to have is the wires and the boxes or, or some way of uh, devices and, and uh, network in order to, uh, to access uh, the technology. And if we think of that in the K-12 space, that uh, Really dates back to the mid '90s, where uh, you know we we start having the E-rate with the passage of of uh, the Telecommunications Act, and suddenly uh, you know we go from only you know one out of uh, ten uh, classrooms uh, in the country having any access to quickly you know now uh, having you know near, near every school, nearly every classroom connected to the internet. Um, but we quickly move into wave two. That doesn't mean that wave one goes away. And in fact, uh, we continue in wave one to have to upgrade for, for broader bandwidth and things like that. But wave two is quick is of course about uh, what sort of applications uh, we wanted to use. And um, 
you know, it, we, we automate processes and we uh, uh, find better ways of, of applications. It's certainly essential, but it doesn't really change the traditional paradigm. And I, I think that's kind of been the wave we've been in. Uh, under No Child Left Behind, there's been a lot of focus on professional development. In fact, any federal money, uh, 25 cents of every dollar that's spent on technology must be spent on professional development. And in fact, when we look at how the money is actually being spent under um, Title IId, Enhancing Education Through Technology, almost over 40% of, of those funds are in fact spent on professional development. Um, and I think that's why we, we see the needle moving from a teacher perspective uh, from some of that data we saw before. But it seems to me where we are at at a moment in history is in education we can start to think about the third wave. And those are transformative applications where we think of technology not as one more vertical department within our, within our schools or school districts, but rather how do we think horizontally? How do we enable the enterprise of education and embed it within everything that we're trying to do, whether that's the pedagogy, the teaching and learning, the professional development, the special ed, the administrative ways that we, we collect and use data, the way we do in assessments. Suddenly it becomes vital to everything we do in terms of a 21st century learning environment. And those are the sort of questions that I think we need as leaders to be thinking about. So um, I said that I'd give a quick little update on sort of where we are today uh, in the United States. I've already mentioned uh, the E-rate. The E-rate continues to be uh, one of the most important funding mechanisms for school technology in the United States. Uh, when we, it's not a federal program, but when we as consumers pay our telephone bill, uh, it goes into, a part of it goes into something called universal service. And universal service has been extended since the mid-1990s to cover schools and libraries, and it covers basic telephone service, telecommunications, internet access, um, as well as uh, internal connections for the poorest of our schools. And I think we've turned a corner where a few years ago we still had a very strong opposition from some quarters on Capitol Hill. Uh, that is uh, no longer the case. We have pretty good bipartisan support in support of the E-rate. It is, however, capped at $2.25 billion a year. Uh, I suspect that we will be making the case over the coming months to the new administration that that cap, which has been in place since 1997, needs to be looked at uh, and rethought about, especially if we want schools to have uh, broadband. Um, the other big program that uh, exists uh, when No Child Left Behind was passed it consolidated all of the other funding programs and competitive programs at the Department of Education under one program, the EETT program. And if you look at this chart, you can see that it was authorized for a billion dollars a year. It's never been fully funded. The first two years of No Child Left Behind were funded at $700 million a year, dropped to about $500 million um, in 2005. Uh, in 2006, 7, 8, and 9, uh, it's been pretty flat at about $270 million. 
um, there were repeated efforts by the previous administration to zero it out and eliminate it. So as, as folks know, there was an election this past uh, fall. And the interesting thing is that uh, President Obama has been spending quite a bit of time giving us a very big vision. Uh, this is a quote from January 8th, right before he became president. He did an address to the nation about the, the need for an economic stimulus. Um, and uh, you can read it, but it, it clearly says that to give our children the chance to live out their dreams in a world that's never been more competitive, we will equip tens of thousands of schools, community colleges, and public universities with 21st century classrooms, labs, and libraries. We'll provide new computers and new technology, new training for teachers so that students in China, in the Chicago and Boston can compete with kids in Beijing for the high-tech, high-wage jobs of the future. So I think many of us were very, very optimistic. And uh, in fact, COSIN, uh, uh, along with uh, ISTE and the state directors of technology, proposed a $10 billion investment under, no Child Le under uh, the EEPT program. The House and Senate passed uh, $1 billion. However, a funny thing happened uh, that they don't talk about in civics. Uh, you'll recall a week ago, uh, there was, uh, in order to get uh, the passage in the U.S. Senate, they needed uh, the support the Democrats needed support from the, the three Republican senators, Senators uh, uh, Collins, Snow, and Specter. And uh, to do that, they needed to make some cuts. So they went into conference committee. You'll recall that we had a billion dollars in both the House and the Senate. In your civics textbook, that would mean that it's not a conferenceable item because there's no dispute. Um, they were able to uh, come to a agreement on a $787 billion package, um, $575 billion in spending, $212 billion of that in tax cuts. And they, a very large portion of that is, in fact, for education, um, $105 billion. Um, and uh, Unfortunately, uh, at the last minute, the billion dollars was cut by 35% and went back to 650 million. That's split over two years. So if you add that uh, 325 million plus the level that we currently have, which is 270 or so million, uh, it brings us almost back to the first years of No Child Left Behind. So um, we certainly have, you know, I, I think we certainly were pleased to be in the economic stimulus. We were pleased by the vision that the President was speaking about. We were, I think, somewhat disappointed that we aren't even back to where we were five years ago in terms of the direct investment in technology um, under the economic stimulus bill. Um, that said, I, I think uh, you know this is the the first uh, act of of a new administration that clearly supports this effort. Uh, we'll see what their budget looks like this coming week. I expect it to be a little bit uh, above sort of uh, where we've been. Not much, a few million dollars. Uh, 
I would also say for those of you who are on the call not to uh, be totally depressed because because of the investment of the economic stimulus, uh, if you're able to work with the folks in Title I or the folks uh, with IDEA special education funding and persuade them that there's ways to spend their money using technology that might address what they're trying to address for disadvantaged or special needs kids, there is money there. Um, I'd also uh, ask that everyone on this call uh, please go to edtechactionnetwork.org. One of the reasons that we lost 35% of the funding behind closed doors is Congress still thinks that there aren't enough people that care about this. Um, we need to persuade them that there are. We have about 15,000 educators who have signed up at edtechactionnetwork.org. Uh, we alert them when uh, decisions are being made, just like uh, this latest decision. Uh, and in fact, we're asking uh, folks right now to contact your members of Congress and tell them that we're disappointed that they cut this funding and they need to do better if we really want 21st century learning environments. Um, this, in fact, uh, shows you where the money is. It's uh, a chart from the National Education Association. Uh, it shows uh, all of that $105 billion. You can see that over half of it goes to, uh, <coughs> goes to stabilize uh, state funding of education. Uh, what that means is the basic formula that comes from uh, uh, the state's two school districts, uh, most of the money will go to that. Uh, we were hoping that some of the money would go for uh, school modernization. Uh, Congress chose to put it in the state stabilization fund. It can be used for modernization if after you've replaced uh, any cuts that have already taken place. So it sort of depends on what's happened already in your in your uh, 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 state. Uh, and you can see that uh, school student financial assistance, of course, is, is higher education. The ESAEA Title I is a very large $13 billion program and special ed at $12 billion. Uh, those are the big opportunities, I think, uh, for technology. We're so small at $650 million, we're not even on this pie chart. Okay, uh, I want to switch to the last part of what uh, my talk is tonight, and hopefully we'll start. Please do uh, uh, start putting in questions. Um, you know, I, I think the question is uh, based on sort of the research that I talked about earlier. What are the essential skills for those that are in charge of our educational system, and what are those skills of those who are in charge of technology in our education system? And I, I like to always point out the role of the critical role of leadership in school reform. This is uh, from the research that the Wallace Foundation has done, and they point out that uh, second only to classroom instruction, leadership is the most critical uh, factor in terms of uh, contributing to school reform. And uh, one of the things that uh, we've been thinking about is what do educational leaders and, and specifically superintendents think about technology and, and 21st century learning? 
And I would have to say that over our 17 years of, of existence, we have uh, foolishly thought that uh, if we created a mountain of, of uh, resources for district technology leaders, including superintendents, that they would flock to us uh, to find that. Uh, we never found that to be true with the average superintendent. And what we did find is that when we went to places where superintendents gathered, their state superintendent uh, meetings, we heard very little conversation in the average state about technology. We were somewhat uh, distressed about that. And this last year, we decided that you know maybe we ought to ask superintendents uh, what they're really thinking about. And maybe there's a way to have a different conversation. And so we um, uh, did a number of focus groups. We created some advisory, uh, an advisory group of superintendents, some of whom were tech-oriented, most of whom were not. And we asked the questions of, you know, how has the world changed and what does that mean for education? Um, what's the really big education problems you're trying to solve? And do you think there's some new tools that might address some of those really big problems that you're, that you're interested in. And out of that has become an initiative that we call Empowering the 21st Century Superintendent. What superintendents told us that they care about are these five issues. First of all, they're very interested in 21st century skills. They want to make sure that kids are, come out of education prepared for a world. Of, and they think, in fact, that there may, in fact, be some new skills that kids need. They're also particularly interested in engaging learning environments. They're concerned that too many kids are dropping out. They're concerned that too many kids that are still in school are bored. They're also interested in professional development, the sense that the typical way that most school districts are doing professional development after school or summer programs are not very effective, and that um, uh, what we really need to get to is a community of learners, a community of practice, where on a t more of a 24 by 7 basis, teachers who in fact are one of the most isolated white collar professions can connect to their peers, or that principals or other administrators can connect uh, to their peers. Again, the principal may be the only person in, their, in the building that has that job is that the only person that has that job. So how can we support him or her? The fourth thing that, super, that superintendents were interested in was their role. How is that changing? How, how, do they, how can they use data to, to be more data-driven? How can they communicate better to the public, to faculty, to students, to parents, to the media? And are there new tools to do that communication and, and analysis of sort of where they are. And finally, superintendents told us what they cared about. And in fact, they would rank this at the top of the list if we put these in rank order, was they wanted to, to look at our assessment system, the sense that, that there was a great concern that, that we're not really having balanced assessments, that we're very focused on high stakes, right, wrong answers. but um, uh, but we haven't yet really thought of new ways. Now, all of these 
five uh, uh, educational themes uh, are, are educational problems. But we we think I think uh, that technology is embedded within each of them. And if we start a conversation about how does how do we create 21st century learning environments? Well, I think technology is at the heart of that. If we want to talk about creating a new kind of professional development that's a community of learners that's more 24 by 7, that's totally about technology. If we talk about what's engaging about learning environments, you know, we just have to look at, at how kids use technology outside of classroom versus how they do within. Technology is embedded within each of these, each of these topics. For instance, uh, this topic, uh, these are a few slides, and we don't really, uh, you know, I, uh, I know that uh, we're starting to get some questions, so I, I'll go through these pretty quickly. Um, these are some of the reasons that, that uh, superintendents told us that they're interested in 21st century skills. The concern that students are not doing very well on uh, international rankings. The concern that we're not preparing kids for what employers want. The concern that we don't have rigor in our uh, STEM, our science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, that we're not preparing kids for that. And that uh, uh, there are new uh, skill sets that are not covered under No Child Left Behind. Um, here's a chart that uh, shows the PISA rankings. Uh, in terms of the G8 countries, we're seventh in terms of ranking of math and problem solving. And when we look at the 30 industrialized nations, you can see the first bar is about our science rankings. In 2000, we were uh, 15th, uh, 14th in the world. We've dropped to 18th. In terms of reading, we've been flat. In terms of math, we've dropped from 18th to 21st. And problem solving, which was a new thing they started in 2003, we're 21st. So um, that certainly gets the attention. Of, super, of policymakers. When we ask employers, this is a, some data from the conference board, which is made up of major employers. They ask them three questions. First of all, what skills are most important for job success when you hire a high school graduate? They said work ethic at the top of the, of the list at 80%. Collaboration, commu good communication, social responsibility critical thinking and problem solving. Now do we think that any of the high stakes tests that we have are any of those relating to the things that, that employers have just told us that they most that are the greatest factors of success? When we ask employers of high school students that they've hired, what were their deficiencies? Written communication, leadership, work ethic, critical problem solving, self-direction. And when we ask employers of what skills do they think will be growing in importance, critical thinking at the top of the list, IT, right behind it, health and wellness, collaboration, innovation, and personal financial responsibility. Now I don't think that technology is at every single one of, of those answers but, or, or concerns that employers have, but they certainly have a lot to say about things like collaboration, things about the way that we do communication, the way that we do critical thinking, um, you know, clearly technology. So um, uh, um, 
I, I see that someone wants to, to ask a question. Steve, do you want to allow people to answer questions now, or should I continue? Well, we can make that decision. Actually, that was Connie Weber accidentally raising her hand when she meant to be clapping. So the, the feedback was clapping. Ah, okay. But um, you know, here's what I would like okay. to propose, Keith. Typically, we finish at about an hour. Your material is really good. I don't want you to shortcut it. Let's just say that anybody who wants to stay on, can we spend an extra ten minutes, Keith, so that you can answer questions? Do you have that time? Sure. Okay. So just why don't you just go ahead and go ahead and finish? Don't, no, nobody should feel badly if they need to leave. Okay. We, do, we do promise an hour. But um, we'll stay on for a few more minutes afterwards to make sure that Keith can finish. And then yeah, I think there are a lot of people anxious to ask questions, so it would be fun to get to that. Okay. And uh, one of the things that superintendents often say is, okay, I get it. I understand what 21st century skills are. But the problem is that the parents in my community don't want it. So this is an interesting study that was done by the Partnership for 21st Century Skills. They wanted to know whether voters, what voters thought about 21st century skills. And they asked them uh, this question of, uh, well, in fact, 99% of respondents by a survey by Peter Hart and Associates uh, agreed that it was important to our country's future economic success that children learn 21st century skills, which they define in the question as computer and technology skills, critical thinking, self-direction, and communication skills. And of that 99%, 81% said it was very important to do that. In addition, 9 out of 10 voters agreed that 21st century skills need to be incorporated into the classroom. 88% said that these are important skills that schools should should, can and should incorporate into curriculum. Another 10% said it was important, but not the, not the responsibility of schools. So now, uh, you know, with superintendents, we, they often say, well, the loudest voices are those who want just basic skills. They don't want 21st century skills. They want basic skills. When, we, when the same survey said, uh, what emphasis should schools put? Should they put it on basic skills? And you see that 25% of, of voters said that's where schools should put it on. Or should they put it on only on 21st century schools? 21% of, of the public said that. Or should it be on an equal uh, emphasis of both basic and 21st century skills, which is where the largest majority of the public is. That's 53%. Uh, what we like to point out is that a vast majority, 74% of the public, believes that there has to be at least an equal emphasis on 21st century skills and basic skills. So um, that's, a, I think, an eye-opener, I think, often to superintendents. The last little point I want to make is switching to what skills uh, the folks in charge of technology need to have. And this is a as I said, we're the Association of Chief Technology Officers. Uh, this is a, a, a graph that comes from PricewaterhouseCoopers, and it's looking at chief information officers across all industry sectors. And they argue that in 1990, the, C, the responsibility of a CIO in any industry sector, about three-quarters of the jobs, 76% of it, was all about the technology. Um, 
you know, there were small aspects in terms of business, uh, leadership and management, organization and culture, and fiscal management. Um, but if we look today at what the skills of someone at a cabinet level in any organization, any industry sector, uh, we see a much more balance. The technology is still there, but it's decreased to about 20% of the job. The real focus of the job is, in fact, uh, all those other areas, business, leadership and management, fiscal management, organization and culture. And we think that, that if we really want technology to start to be thought of as a strategic resource by school districts, they need to really start thinking about a new kind of person at the cabinet level. Just like a, you know, 30 years ago, uh, school districts started to create the chief financial officer. They certainly had bookkeepers. They had accountants. They continue to have those sort of folks. But at a certain point, almost every school district realized that they need a chief financial officer. Um, we believe that school districts need to start thinking about technology and, and the need for a chief uh, technology officer. And most of the folks on the call are probably familiar with the NET standards for students and teachers. And, and there are also NETs A, which are uh, for principals and superintendents. COSIN has been trying to define what are the essential skills for school district chief te technology officers. These are our existing framework of nine essential skills. Uh, we're just in the process of refreshing that. In fact, if you come to our conference, you can participate in um, a session where we'll be uh, looking at updating and refreshing that to, in fact, increase the focus uh, on sort of the educational role of the chief technology officer. Oops, I'm sorry, I hit a little fast there. Um, I, I did want to just, uh, and again, I'd be happy to take any questions, so please start uh, typing those uh, into, into the, the chat box. I want to mention just some other resources though, that COSIN has available. Uh, we are doing some work uh, with the MacArthur Foundation around use of Web 2.0 in education, but we're not specifically looking at the technology. Instead, we're focused on what's the leadership and policies that enable or inhibit adoption of new collaborative tools. And um, we're particularly interested in, we're doing a survey that we'll be releasing the results at at our annual conference uh, in Austin. Uh, we'll be looking at what superintendents, what heads of curriculum at a school district level, what we might call chief academic officers, and what chief technology officers know about Web 2.0? Are they using uh, wikis, blogs, uh, uh, social networking sites, either professionally or personally? Do they see that there's an educational role? And um, if not, are they, uh, uh, do they have concerns? And what are they about that? Um, we'll also, uh, at, uh, we also have a number of resources on helping school technology leaders budget for technology. Uh, out of that has, has uh, become a, an initiative on calculating the value of investment in technology. Um, Steve has uh, been helping us run our Open Technologies project, which is very, uh, has a lot of great resources on it. We also have resources on data-driven decision-making and cybersecurity 
and uh, you know three quarters of the school districts in our country have less than 2,500 students. And uh, a lot of uh, uh, folks said, well, you know, uh, I'm the only person, or it's part of my responsibility technology, but how in the world can I do all this? So we have a special resource to uh, point how uh, tech leaders in, tech in small school districts can apply these sort of things. And uh, we have two new resources around green computing and IT crisis preparedness. I think we now um, have a couple of um, questions. Uh, Steve, is there any you particularly want me to uh, focus on first? No. If you see one there that you'd like to um, to address, Keith, that's fine. If somebody would like to raise their hand and ask a question, we can actually give you the mic, or you can post the question in uh, the chat area. And while you're doing so, Keith, I have a question for you. Uh, do you think that the, these new participative technologies have changed our perception of the learner's role in, in this process of education? When you talked about the, the student being a customer, do you think that's reflective of, our, of this new world in which people really are learning on their own and so we're, we're viewing the role of student differently? Well, I, I think that there's that we should be, and and that's certainly what the MacArthur Foundation is uh, trying to fund. Uh, it's based upon the work of Dr. Henry Jenkins at MIT, uh, work that he's been talking about for a long time about participatory culture, and I think that there is a very big concept here. You know, our our current educational system is very much organized around individual achievement. And yet, if we look, for instance, in the world of science, um, you know, it's very unlikely that anyone will win the, the Nobel Prize in science uh, as an individual. It's almost all done collaboratively. And yet, our education system um, hasn't really tapped into the way that most research and, in fact, most of business works today. Um, it, it is very collaborative. It is very uh, working together as a team. And I think that that requires a real uh, thinking of how do we value that concept of participation and how do we uh, rethink what 21st century learning is. And it, it is, uh, we're at a very early stage of it. I think we see uh, obviously glimpses of what it can be in things like Wikipedia and others. But most of the really exciting things with participatory culture are happening uh, in informal learning outside of the school. Uh, the early work of the MacArthur Foundation is funding work in museums and libraries and after school programs. It's only now as they're coming near their fifth year of funding things that they're starting to think about formal education. And that's because they think that there's an awful lot of, of uh, cultural uh, conservativeness. And I'm not talking about political conservativeness, but you know, the, the way that our education system is set up is not set up to be a particularly innovative and early adopter of technology. So we really have to make the case that there's something really important that happens around learning with these new collaborative tools. And I think it's, it's a really exciting time. Um, and certainly, there's a great opportunity for bubble up, for innovative things in the classroom, for, real, for teachers that really want to try out new things. 
I also believe there has to be a strategy which Kosin is talking about, which is the top down. If we don't create a culture and a leadership and a vision, it stamps out that innovation uh, in the long term uh, among innovative teachers. And, and it's a long term process. So um, I, I'm sorry for that long winded answer, but, uh, but uh, you know, I think we're at a very early stage of this. Okay, great. So for those of you who, um, who may not have heard, we are, we are going to go a little long tonight. Please don't feel badly if you have to leave. Everything is being recorded. You won't hurt anybody's feelings. We know we are at the hour, um, but Keith's agreed to, to spend another 10 or 15 minutes answering questions uh, for as long as um, up to that point in time. Uh, I am going to forward the slides and want to make sure, Keith, that you get to make a pitch for the conference coming up. Um, maybe we can do that after Marha asks her question. Uh, and then for those of you who stick around, um, that we will be, um, there will be a short survey on tonight's session. And so don't leave before you've had a chance to fill that out. Okay, so Marha, I've given you the mic. In order to speak, you push on the microphone button at the lower left underneath the participants column. And if you've got a mic, there you go. We heard you for a second, so we do whatever you did again, and you can ask your question. You can ask your question. Okay. Well, my name is Martha, and I'm a first grade teacher here in Middle Open, Texas. And my question to Keith is, I'd like to know what conference the superintendents may have attended this past fall. Um, our superintendent um, came back, and he was very um, uh, eager to uh, to be in the 21st century uh, frame mind of things. We are very fortunate in my district to have that kind of leadership. And I'm just curious what conference he may have attended because we are in the process of moving forward with uh, Web 2.0 uh, installation beginning this next school year, 2009-2010. And I will be serving on that committee to set the guidelines. So um, I think this would be a great uh, webinar for him to listen to, and I'm just interested in if if uh, if the conference that he may have attended may have sparked this interest. Uh, well, I, I don't know. Well, I, I don't know the conference that he attended, but I do know But I do know that the um, uh, we we have partnered. Uh, when I said that COSIN had launched the Empowering the 21st Century uh, Superintendent Initiative, we partnered with groups like TASA in Texas, uh, it's the State Superintendents Association. And at their conference in January, uh, you know, they invited us down there. And what we've been trying to facilitate is, is, a, is a safe conversation for superintendents to have with each other. Uh, frankly, uh, this is not intended to be the technology community telling superintendents what they're not doing right. Rather, we've tried to put this in the voice. We've listened to superintendents. We've allowed superintendents to present uh, to other superintendents. And that gives it the credibility. And also, if it can be in an environment where the doors are closed and, and they're not embarrassed that they're in front of their, their faculty or in front of their school boards or their public to say, you know, I don't really know what a wiki or a blog is or I don't really know. And, and that's okay. You know, as, as what we like to say is 
the superintendent doesn't need to be the tech director or the, the, the CTO. That's not their job. What they need to have is a clear vision of what can be, and they need to uh, instill a, an environment that, that is innovative. And I'm thrilled to hear that your superintendent uh, has gotten charged up about that. Uh, we need to model him or her. We need to take him or her on the road and uh, talk to some others and, and hopefully uh, reinvigorate a, a lot more superintendents to do that. Great, thanks. Uh, Mr. Coley, I'm going to give you the mic. And again, the same thing, if you click on that button on the lower left of your participants under the audio teleconference box, you can actually ask your question out loud. All right, thank you. Um, my question is, in whole faculty group, we've been discussing new ways of teaching, but many of my fellow educators are only interested in using technology to do old things in new ways. And we've had a lot of comments in the chat room about uh, how to break this spell, but I'm wondering what your recommendations are and also uh, where, where are some good beginning places for novice? Well, I, I, I think it's uh, that part of that is, in fact, uh, having discussions about uh, the pedagogy. What is it that we're really trying to do? And, and I think uh, we need to move beyond what I call the best buy conversation, which is, Gee whiz! Wow, the new, the hottest new technology. Uh, we've got to try that. Um, to really starting the conversation with what's the problem we're trying to solve. Um, you know, it is the big problem that kids are dropping out. Is the problem that kids aren't engaged? Is the problem that kids aren't getting particularly? We're not, we're not moving fast enough. Uh, or, or we're moving too fast for some kids. We need to individualize learning. I think if we get clear on what the problem is, then we can, as technology leaders, start thinking about what's the best tools to address that. Too often we, we start with the gee whiz wow, and you know it's real easy to get uh, sucked into that. If I want to have an overflow crowd of, of educators, you know, I'll, I'll say, let's talk about the five hottest new technologies, and they'll be coming out the rafters. But what we really need to start with is what's the five big problems we're trying to solve, and what are the best tools that address those? Um, you know, and, and uh, I, I can't tell you what those are in every instance. I think that that uh, you, you need to uh, have a discussion at your school level, hopefully. You know, with the, with the support of your principal, and and hopefully you can maybe bring in some, you know, it's uh, bring in some uh, some folks who are in your school or or in other schools that are doing innovative things. Okay, uh, Keith, I'm going to uh, pass the mic to Adina, and we're now at about seven minutes past the hour. Shall we take uh, two or three more questions? You think? To make this uh, short, um, when we're having these conversations, or this conversation, that it kind of reminded me of a couple of things that have come up earlier today in Ming's and other places about administrators um, and those in leadership positions maybe not being part 
of these conversations um, in sort of a mainstream environment, that they're only hearing about them when they're specifically related to an ed tech point or an ed tech conference. And I'm wondering how much the idea of technology integration um, in all its different areas is really being presented to administrators in a more mainstream way. For example, I was trying to help my uh, former principal um, set up some RSS feeds or, or uh, put some RSS feeds into her reader, and I was having a really hard time finding things that had to do with administrators. And I'm wondering how much they're actually getting in their regular things that they already attend and already read that relate to ed tech uh, or technology integration. Well, I, I don't think much. And I think that uh, the secret of the success of what we are doing with superintendents, and I think it needs to be done for principals, uh, is not trying to become a superintendent's association, but rather partnering with superintendent associations and saying, you know, we really want you to look good. You get co-branded on these resources that we've created uh, after listening to superintendents. We're available to help, uh, you know, present at your conference. And you know, we're very pleased to ten. Uh, state superintendent associations in California, uh, uh, Colorado, uh, Texas, uh, Michigan, North Carolina, Indiana, Mich uh, Maine, uh, and probably some I'm forgetting about all have endorsed our effort and they've agreed to embed this professional development in their superintendent conferences. Uh, we also are working with AASA, the National Association, just last week. We are at the national conference. We'll be at their summer institute. You know, I think that superintendents want to uh, uh, certainly be looking to the future. I think, though, when we've, you know, I was at a uh, uh, a very large state uh, uh, superintendents conference, and we presented this, and the the head of the association came up to me afterwards and said, you know, we haven't for the last five years done a program on technology because the last time we did, everyone left. They were talking about wires and boxes and standards and all the all the superintendents left by lunchtime. We decided this was not something they cared about. I think that's because we haven't been having the right conversation with educational leaders. Um, you know, they don't need to know about all of the specifics of the technology. They need to but you're right, they need to understand how it helps uh, both their job as well as what, how it makes a difference in the teaching and learning, and they need to have a vision around it. And um, that's a conversation that isn't happening yet enough. I think we've got time for one more question. I, I, yeah. I'm going to give a little plug about the COSIN conference. For anyone uh, who can get down to Austin, we'd love to have you. Uh, it's coming up in just uh, two weeks. Uh, and uh, it's all about the, this topic of collaboration. Uh, John Papstock, who may recall wrote the book Growing Up Digital a decade ago, uh, has written a new book uh, called Growing Up Digital. Uh, he's revisited those kids who were in junior high a decade ago who are now out in the workforce. And he's looking at how they're working and living differently and what that means for education. Uh, we're closing the conference with uh, Clayton Christensen and Michael Horn. 
the authors of Disrupting Class, uh, how disruptive technologies, uh, what impact they might have in the school environment. They particularly talk about virtual education. We do a pre-conference on our uh, MacArthur uh, work on leadership and leadership and policy around Web 2.0, and actually about 40 ministries of education and school networking organizations from around the world will be participating in that. So it's a great time if you're interested in what's happening outside of the United States, sign up for it. And uh, you know we have just a, a real great program planned for folks, and it's not too late to to sign up. I think that's a great note to you end want one on. One last question. Um, no one raised their hand, and so uh, rather than put everybody in the position of um, starting a new conversation, why don't we go ahead and close? I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the clapping icon for Keith. Keith, that's terrific. You did everything well, I hoped you would. Thanks so much. And you know, I, we didn't show the video, but if you go to Coastal's website, www.cofn.org, uh, the Learning to Change, Changing to Learn video, uh, there's a new one up that we just put up this week with a student perspective. And uh, I, it's about four minutes long. There's a, an, another version uh, which we did, which has you know people like myself who are getting gray hair. Uh, uh, leaders from around the world also talking about that uh, that was put up last March. So thanks for doing this, Steve. This is terrific. Yeah, great job, Keith. Our thanks to KnowledgeWorks who are funding the interview series and to Illuminate for providing the room and supporting it. Uh, Illuminate does have a three for free program at V Room, and uh, please visit them if you're interested in using this technology. Uh, we're sure glad you're here. Coming up on this Thursday is John Palfrey who wrote the book Born Digital, and uh, that's um, with my PBS series. Then March 2nd, Gary Steger uh, will be on, and Gary's a, always a lightning rod, which will be fun. And then I'm really excited about this on March 5th, Diana Kimball and Alex Levitt, who are two of the students who helped to work on Born Digital, will be on uh, the Future of Education series. So uh, again, our thanks to Keith. Uh, please visit us at futureofeducation.com. Thanks to KnowledgeWorks, and thanks to Illuminate. Have a great night, everybody, and we will put the recordings uh, to the show up sometime tomorrow. Thank you, Keith. Thank you. Good night. Good night.